actually just the amount of content and I'm sure it'll actually continue to grow because it's it's a very expansive subject um, it's probably a subject that we could never exhaust um, but I'm also going to kind of lay the foundation as to oh you know what it's always <laughs> it's always a hard predicament making sure your back is not turned with anybody in this room um, it's probably a subject that we won't exhaust, but I'm actually, before we even going to really address it biblically, I'm going to give you an understanding of actually why it's so important that we understand the biblical foundation for what we're going to discuss today. And really, in simplicity, what we're going to discuss and look at in Scripture is the Church of Jesus Christ. Understanding the Church. And for many reasons, and, and basically I even want to start out by saying, amongst us within this room, because we are largely younger Crowd. I think I'd be pushing it to find anybody. I don't. Want, I'm like. I'm thinking. I'm like anybody in here over fifty. You don't have to raise your hand. But I mean, it's just we have a young group. We really have a young group that gathers here. Um, and really, if you understand the dynamics within our generation, is that there really is a crisis in understanding the biblical church. And what I mean by that is, if you actually look statistically at the church, the church in the West is in crisis. It's in utter decline. And the issue actually is largely amongst the younger generation. Because if you think about it this way, for those that are kind of like, we'll say 20 and younger, or even 30 and younger, that's the next generation that the baton is going to be passed to for leading the church of Jesus Christ. So that means that theologically and financially, we are the ones that will be responsible for what the future of the church looks like. Now, if, you, if we understand that, that theologically and financially, we are going to be the ones responsible for the face of the church in the earth, the expansion of the church in the earth. If you actually look at statistics and surveys, in, in a, specifically America, we're talking America right now, if you look at statistics and surveys, it is largely understood that that younger generation of Christians is largely pagan. And when I say pagan, it's professing to be a Christian without actually lining up with the authority of the Word of God. That's professing Christ, but yet morally, in every other area in our life, it doesn't actually come into alignment with the Word of God. So that's a generation of young people that say, and when I say pagan, studies actually show that amongst that generation, there is such a high number that will profess Christ, but yet say, Jesus Christ is not the only way to God. That, that's pagan. <laughs> because it's in the essence of spirituality, there is a spirituality amongst the generation. There's an awareness of God. With actually, without having a clear understanding biblically of the word of God and the foundation of scripture on Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And the understanding of the authority of the word of God. Even in that place is when, when surveys are taken, that understanding that Jesus is not the only way to God. When even specific passages of scripture, and we're not going to go through it all today, but when, when you look at the studies, specific passages of scripture, when they're asked to this generation that claims Christianity or claims Christ, there's not even alignment with the word of God. Their answers are contrary to the word of God because it's actually, although it's Christianity, it's actually given to relativism. And it's, it's even the understanding that somehow the word of God is adapted to the day and the culture in which we live. That's pagan. That's pagan, really pagan Christianity because it's claiming Christianity, but yet it's not based upon the authority of the word of God. Because if it's not, let's just put it this way. 
If it is not based upon the authority of the word of God, there is absolute, there is no place that there is a, a final authority that establishes the litmus test or sets the bar and the standard for who we are as believers. Amen. All things become relative. And see, this is why it's important that we actually understand, because amongst this generation of young people, the crisis that actually is, is there's a lack of understanding of the not, I'm not talking, listen, I was raised in the institutionalized church. Like, I understand that amongst, and I have countless friends that will profess Christ, but they actually will not be in fellowship with the church because of their judgments of how corrupt and you know, it's all a judgment against what the church is and who the church is, and that's the context for it. But yet, if you look at their life according to the Word of God, they're no more of an example of what the Church of Jesus Christ should be. So they've forsaken the institutionalized church, and they think that somehow they don't want to be a part of that system, but yet their very life does not become the example and does not become a, a, a manifestation of what the church was called to be. And so the understanding, and I mean, if you think about it this way, if, if any of us in this place are going to criticize the church or have a judgment against the church, if you look at Jesus, and we're going to look at his life today, you know, oftentimes we make the emphasis that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He absolutely did. But so many passages of scripture actually go back to, because of his love for the church, Ephesians, he laid down his life for it. He loved the church enough to lay down. And the word church is actually used there. He loved the church enough to lay down his life for it. So if we're going to have any criticism for what the church of Jesus Christ is, ultimately we have to come to the place where we're actually willing to lay down our life and labor to see the church come into the fullness of what Christ intended. Instead of standing back with judgment and criticism of what the church should be, should not be, could be, was supposed to be, all of those things, and somehow we're going to divorce ourselves from that system that we don't agree with. If we look at the example of Jesus, he loved the church and he laid down his life for it. And that is the true understanding of us having a love for the church of Jesus Christ and wrestling for the integrity and the authority of what it was intended to be. One of the most sacred words, as you guys know, we really value the prophetic um, here at this ministry. Uh, we believe it is for the present day. We believe it is a gift that is still in operation. Um, it has really guided my life in accordance with the word of God. But one of the words when we were starting the house of prayer, the first 40 days when we were right at the First Baptist Church, we were starting those first 40 days. I don't know how many of you guys know who Jude Fuquay is. Um, he's a pastor originally out of Seattle, Washington. He's now in Ventura, California. He's an extraordinary man of God. But um, he came out during the first 40 days and ministered a couple of times. But he gave me a word. And, you know, it's, to be honest with you, yes, house of prayer, all of the things that we're laboring for in the city of Boston. But this word is actually, he spoke something, and this is how the prophetic actually operates. It really calls out what's already inside of us. He gave me a word, and he said that the Lord would use us in this city to restore glory and honor to the church of Jesus Christ. And for, like I said, I've been raised in the institutionalized church, and I've actually been pained. And just so you guys know, I have a four-year-old that I'm raising. Part of my, my angst in my spirit is saying, I want my son to see Book of Acts. I don't want him raised in dead religion. I don't want him hearing stories of Jonah and Daniel, almost as if they're fables from years ago, but seeing it void of the reality and the power. I mean, I, I wrestle over that in my spirit. 
but not to the place of saying, I'm going to forsake the institutionalized church and somehow go out on my own independent. When we look today biblically and understand, Jesus, what he came for was a church, a glorious church. In Ephesians, most of us will actually quote a church without spot or wrinkle. Prior to that, in Ephesians, Ephesians 5, it literally says, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. If you think about the ultimate climax to human history is Revelations, where the, the, the bride marries the lamb. It's the marriage supper of the lamb that he would present to himself a bride, a church, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. So the church isn't like this optional factor in human history. If you look at historians, if you look at human history, everyone is kind of wrestling. They kind of look at like whether history is cyclical, like what is the rhythm, what is the pattern of history, what are the common denominators, and most of them actually wrestle over this issue and can't figure out what is all of human history leading up to. Like, is this all for something? If you actually read many philosophers, they begin to question that there is no point. That there is no ultimate end to any of this. None of it actually makes sense or has a rhythm or a system. But if you look at the word of God, there absolutely is an end in mind. And that is the church of Jesus Christ becoming the glorious, triumphant church the church without spot or wrinkle, that it would be a, a bride prepared for a king. And so when we begin to look at the church of Jesus Christ scripturally, we need to understand our involvement and our role in participation in it is not something that is optional. Amen. It is something that he is jealous for the church. It is his representation of who he is upon the earth. And you know, I because like I said... Growing up in the church, I have a lot of friends that no longer are involved with church life. They're professing Christians, they're tongue-talking, they still supposedly operate in the gifts of the Spirit, but there is such a place of either woundedness or discouragement or disillusionment with the church. And I know many others that sincerely have, I think, a prophetic call and a prophetic voice, and they have clarity upon their lives, but yet because of their clarity, they can never find the perfect church to fit in and be a part of, because there's always a criticism. They're always off a little bit here, off a little bit there. They don't get this quite right theologically. You know, there's all of those criticisms. But you want to know something? When we criticize and we divorce ourselves from the church, if you look actually biblically, if you divorce yourself from the church, you are actually divorcing yourself, number one, from that which is beloved of the heart of God. But number two, you're actually divorcing yourself from his entire, the human history, the plan for the end times. You have just isolated and separated yourself. And ultimately, if you look at the word of God, you have no role in it because you're not a part of the corporate body. Over and over and over again, it speaks of him being the head of the body, which is the church. So the question comes, if you're not a part of the church, what are you a part of? You're not a part of his body. You're actually not a part of his redemptive purpose in the earth. Mm. It's extraordinary, actually, when you look at it scripturally. Let's turn to uh, Ephesians 5.25. Most of us know this passage of scripture. This is kind of the teaching on marriage. It kind of is like where we get our model for marriage. But the extraordinary thing is... He's actually relating, Paul is relating marriage 
to actually the relationship between Christ and the church. And he calls it a mystery. Ephesians 5, um, actually I'll start in verse 22. Wives, submit, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Verse 27. That he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one has ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the lord does the church he's actually using the word nourish and cherish the lord cherishes the church it's, it's definitely very intimate and tender language concerning his affection towards the church. The Lord does the church, verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is the great mystery that I speak concerning Christ and the church. It's a beautiful passage of scripture when we actually understand his affection for the church and his passion for the church. The word glorious here, where it says that he would present to himself a glorious church, the word glorious actually means to be held in good or in great esteem, of high repute. That's speaking of the church, that the church would be held in good or in great esteem. That it would be honorable, that it would be esteemed in the earth, that it would be notable, that it would be glorious, that it would be splendid. In the New Testament, it's always a good opinion concerning one resulting in praise, honor, and glory. It's splendor or brightness. It's actually likened to the moon, the sun, and the stars. It's magnificence, excellence, preeminence, dignity, and grace. The word glorious is actually a term that belongs to God, meaning it's ascribed to God. The absolute perfect inward or personal excellency of Christ. The most glorious condition and most exalted state. Speaking of the church of Jesus Christ, the most glorious condition and the most exalted state. So we actually saw that in this passage of scripture that Christ refers to himself as the head of the church, or the head of the body. In Ephesians 1, through 23, is another passage. I mean, it's all throughout the Word of God, but it's actually another passage that actually likens once again. Um, and he put all things under his feet and gave to him to be head over all, all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills it. Most of you are very familiar with um, 1 Corinthians 12. The whole chapter is really speaking 
about the church being the body of Christ. That's actually where it's speaking of the functions of the body of Christ. That each one of you is a member and a part of the body of Christ. And just even as the body cannot live without one of its limbs or one of its parts, the, the utter necessity of each member operating in its, in its right, rightful function. In Ephesians 3, 8 through 11, this is actually where it speaks of the manifold wisdom of God being made known by the church. See, this is the extraordinary thing when we want to start criticizing the church, right? So we separate ourselves from an institution that we have judgments and we don't think it's operating according to God's plan and design. But the word of God clearly says that it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God will be displayed. Now the question becomes, if, you know, let's just use me an example. Me and my, my husband, we choose to isolate ourselves. We don't want to be a part of the institutionalized church. We don't think that it's actually a representation of the book of Acts. So we're going to kind of like do our own deal, raise our own son in our own context, and we'll just teach him the word and we'll pray in our home, and we will be the church in our four walls. Let me ask you something. What do you think will be the strength, the influence, and the effectiveness of the manifold wisdom of God being displayed through my little unit of three? I mean, really, the limited effectiveness of us three and no more, that somehow the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed to the earth. I mean, ultimately, when we begin to talk about the manifold wisdom of God, the glory of God, that is actually the intention of the church, is that the glory of God would be revealed in the earth. Now, when we say the glory of God, that's kind of an ambiguous statement. Uh, most of us have an image of what glory means. Like, if I say the word glory, there's some of you that have the vision of a cloud hovering, you know, over the temple, or, you know, some kind of an abstract. Other people think, oh, it's the weight of his presence, and no one's going to be able to stand. You know, and some of those things we actually draw from scripture. But in essence, what the glory of God is, it's God being made manifest. Like, it's the invisible God being made manifest and being put on display. It's who he is being revealed. That means his nature, his character, his likeness, his power, who he is when it is manifested in our midst, when it is manifested through our lives, that is the glory of God. It's God being seen by man. It's his glory. The glory of God revealed. And so Ephesians 3, 8 through 11 says to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach amongst the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see that in the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Verse 11, according, here we go, key verse, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose that he accomplished through Jesus Christ is that the church would make known the manifold wisdom of God to principalities and powers. That the essence of who is Christ and what he came to do would be revealed through you. 
So when we talk about the church, we're not talking about a structure. We're not talking about the First Baptist Church in Central Square because they have a steeple. That is the Church of Jesus Christ. You have to understand, biblically, the understanding of the church is a corporate gathering of believers. Corporate meaning, corporate, coming together, gathering together. See, this is what we need to completely redefine church. Because if you actually look, Book of Acts, See, in our modern-day America, like most of us here, we're kind of like, well, we're coming to our church, we meet in the living room. <laughs> Book of Acts, let's get this. They, there was no structure or building identified as that is the Church of Cambridge, that is the Church of Boston, that is the Church of Belmont, that is the Church of... There was no building that was emphasized. They met in houses. So we look at Book of Acts. We look at, and let's, we've gone through Book of Acts. Last year we spent how many months? Six months on Book of Acts? <laughs> it's been a long time. We went through it chapter by chapter. Book of Acts, when we look at that, you have to understand that New Testament church, which is the model, that was the birthing of the New Testament church, it turned the world upside down. Yeah. But let's think about it this way. <laughs> they did not have any of the organization. They did not have any of the technology. They did not have any of the things that we, the Church of America, rely so heavily upon. Not one lick of it. They didn't even have a fancy building to meet in. No multimedia. They had none of that. So it really wasn't about an organization. You know what the Book of Acts was? It was an organism. It was a living, breathing, alive, active organism that was alive with the breath of the Holy Spirit. It was a corporate gathering of people. Like I said, house by house is how they met. But you know what it was? It was the collective body gathering together. Book of Acts, it says daily they came together for the word, the prayer, prayer, and the breaking of bread. They were living in that place of unity and harmony. But the extraordinary thing was, is that they actually weren't living unto themselves. They were living for the advancement of the kingdom upon the earth. The multiplication of that seed. And so that's actually what we find in Book of Acts. We find the model of the New Testament church. What the church, Jesus never actually declared, like as of this year, whatever the year will be, that reality of the church will cease and you'll come into a new reality. And we're going to call it the megachurch reality. And now you've been birthed now into this new reality. And now all of you model yourselves after this. No, Book of Acts was the pattern, always will be the pattern. And actually what Book of Acts reveals is that they were not reliant upon what man could do, but they were completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Amen. Completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. So we, as a body of believers, from the place of prayer, that as we actually begin to live from that place of understanding what the church is called to be, that you as an individual, you are the church. Not meaning you can take your family, go hibernate, isolate, call yourself the first church of Western Ave. And just never associate. Gathering together with the corporate body of believers. That the, as this even speaks of, he is the head of the church. You know, it's extraordinary. We preach actually out of Matthew 18 all the time here. Where basically Jesus says to Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter answers and he says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Jesus responds and he says, it is upon this rock that I will build my church. He didn't, no, he didn't look at Peter and say, is upon this rock, Peter, you should build my church. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, I will build my church. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know what that means? That means he's got the blueprint. 
he's got the pattern. He is the only one that gets say on what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to look like. So, you know, you come to a lot of these church planting seminars, you come, you know, all the church planting blogs, it's kind of like a big trend. You come to all these things, and there's kind of philosophies and theories on how to plant and how to build. And I've even sat with pastors. When you begin to really wrestle over the integrity of the Word of God, of, well, this is what I feel our church's calling is. If you can't find it in the Bible, it ain't our calling. If it does not align with Jesus Christ, because He is the model for the church, Jesus Christ, the way he related to culture is how we're called to relate to culture. You don't get any, get out easy pass because you want to be socially acceptable and you want to fit in and blend in. No, it's as Jesus patterned his life is how the church is called to pattern its life. The way that Jesus related to God the Father is how we are called to relate to God the Father. The way that Jesus related to sinners is the way that we are called to relate to sinners. Amen. So honestly, you can kind of put it out the door. I've got to seek God for like my life vision or this church's vision or what's like our mandate, our calling. Just go to the Word of God, see how Jesus did it, and you, you, don't, you actually don't get a whole heck of a lot of options because this is what I'll say to you, is if you're the one building the church, it's not the church of Jesus Christ. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you know what that means? It means any institution or organization that we build in and of ourselves that the gates of hell can prevail against it. So what does that mean? That if we are actually presently seeing the gates of hell prevail against the church, it means it's a whole heck of a lot, a lot of man-made structure. If it is a failing system, it's because it is not his system. His system does not fail. Now hear me, I understand, Jesus went to the cross, it looked like utter failure. I get it, Jesus, even in his life, it looked as though there was not utter success. I'm not talking about megachurch, I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying that if you're, you're not filling an 8,000 seater, that you're not a success and it wasn't Jesus' pattern. That's not what I'm saying, because any, oh I almost used the word dummy, sorry. <laughs> I caught myself. Any carnal man can build a business. Let's just be honest. Entertainment draws the masses. Yes. It's true. Hollywood draws the masses. They need the presence of God. They're meeting a need. They're meeting a need, and when we find our need met, we amass ourselves to that place. So in all honesty, our, as individuals, what we put our hand to do, if the Lord calls you, let's just say some of you feel called overseas to a specific country. If what the Lord calls you to do in that place in planting a church, if it is five individuals that are wrestling for the manifestation of Christ, then a, a people group or a region or a culture or a community would see the manifestation of Christ. The success of what we do is not based upon the numbers that we amass. It's the integrity of the word of God and how we walk that out. That is the success of who we are as individuals and as the body of Christ. Because Jesus declared, I will build my church. That he is the builder, he is the designer. He is the only one that gets a say. 
So ultimately, we look at the pattern of Jesus' life, which is actually what we're going to do very quickly here, so I don't take much more time. We're going to look at the pattern of Jesus' life as the pattern for how we as the church should be looking and should be patterning our life. Most of us understand, I mean, it's common knowledge and I think common sense that most of man and our humanity, the temptation is we live for our own glory. We live to please ourselves. We live for what feels good to me, what's going to give me status, what's going to give me success, what's going to get me further along in life. When we look at the life of Jesus, he literally did not live for self one iota. He lived for the glory of God. He lived that his father, his name would be made great in the earth. That's all he lived for. And we're going to begin to look at the pattern of the church and the understanding that Jesus literally laid down his life for the church, that we as individuals, I just want to say it this way. I think in America, we do have an understanding of, like, we, you know, we all have a gift, we have a call, there's the five-fold ministry gifts. Most of us are in a pursuit of trying to find our calling, and we want to operate in our gifting, but we actually lose sight that your gift is for the edification of the church. Amen. Your gift ain't for you. <laughs> No, really. It's like not so you can look cooler, look better, like put your name on a billboard, you're the next bestseller of whatever, I don't know. It's, it's for none of those things. It's for the edification of the church. We see that in 1 Corinthians where Paul is actually speaking about prophecy. And he's saying, desire to prophesy that the church might be edified. He's saying, desire spiritual gifts so that all might profit. He's literally saying, grow in your gifting. Excel in your gifting. But it is not for your own name and your own fame. It is so the church, once again, he's talking about the church, the emphasis of the church being built and established. He's saying so that the church will be edified by your gifting. See, how many of us actually, in our gifting and our calling, would actually begin to excel and increase if our focus was no longer ourselves? If it was literally saying, I want to sow myself into this body of believers, and for their edification, I want to grow. I want to have such a corporate mindset. Instead of an individualistic mindset of my own career path, my own pattern of growth, and how I'm going to get there and accomplish it and where I'll be in 10 years. It's, I want to be used for the edification of the church, as Paul said. And how much more we actually would increase in our gift and calling, because our eyes are no longer on ourselves. It's actually for the benefit and the profit of other people. In the example of Jesus that we begin to lose our life. This is actually so that we can move through this quickly. The key components that we're going to look at scripturally through Jesus, his life, but also what he prayed for the church in John 17, is number one, union with the Father. In order for us to be a functioning church, the model for the New Testament church, and even as we see it in the book of Acts, is union with the Father which most of us and all of us understand that's really from the place of prayer. The book of Acts, literally, they had the out, they, so they gathered in the upper room. There was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The trend that we have in, West, in the Western world, we gather for prayer, or even, in all honesty, missions, church planting. The trend is we definitely seek the face of God. We get some strategy, some insight from the Lord. But then once he endorses us, we like take off running. And, like, we totally forget, like, <laughs> that it's actually from union that you got vision, and it's only from union that vision is sustained. Right. 
Like, somehow, we actually take off thinking, okay, God's endorsed me, he patted me on the back, now I'm off running. But in the understanding, if you look at the book of Acts, they stayed in that rhythm of daily prayer. They never departed. So even when you get successful, even when you're like launched into your ministry, my word of wisdom to you is don't depart the place of prayer. Union with the Father is the goal of it all. So like, get there, stay there, and don't move from there. Union with the Father. If you got that, you got it all. But if you don't got that, you can have it all and still be lacking. Union with the Father. Um... And that's what we actually understand is that place of union is actually, it's birthed from the place of faithful prayer. We find in Jesus' life, purity of life. He actually declared, when the wicked one comes, he finds no place in me. Amen. Amen. See, Jesus was not overcome by the world because from within he had already overcome. The inward place of his heart, he had already overcome that temptation. And we find in Jesus' life the proclamation of the truth. Amen. So if you kind of lean more toward the secret sensitive side of life, that just feels a little bit better, you just have to look at, at the end of the day, Jesus was like the least secret sensitive dude you'd ever find. He actually was pretty divisive. I'm not saying I want to be divisive. <laughs> Please, I want friends. <laughs> but our allegiance is to truth. Amen. The proclamation of truth. And that's actually what we find through the example of Jesus' life. Uh, John 17, verse 17. Most of you are well aware that this is on the eve of Jesus' death. We actually find Jesus, and who is he praying for? He's praying for the church. He's praying for the church of Jesus Christ. And we find his passion, his desire. We find the embodiment of his life. He's actually praying for the church here. Um, in verse 17, verse 21, and verse 22, like we're just going to highlight there, but this is where we find Jesus praying for the church. And he says, uh, verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Right here and here alone, we could preach on the church of Jesus Christ. That we are not of this world. That our affection, our allegiance to this world is not the model that Jesus gave us. Verse 16, um, they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This is where we find Jesus praying for their sanctification, which he's praying for their purity. He's praying for the purity of the church. And as it goes on in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Verse 19, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 21, that they all may be one. This is the understanding of union. He's praying for union from the place of purity. That they would be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. Amen. Unity with the Father and union with the Father. And it's from that place that actually the unity of the church comes. Oftentimes we're seeking like church unity without understanding that if we're not in union with the Father, if we're not like-minded with the Father, we'll never come into one accord with one another. 
that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, that the glory, and this is where, once again, as far as the glory and the manifestation of his glory in the earth, that the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. That the, so the last point there, that he, him praying, he prayed that the glory of God would cover the earth. He was praying for their glory in the earth. He was praying for the glory of God to be known. And the understanding is that the glory of God is manifested through the church of Jesus Christ. If we're praying, let's just say we're praying Habakkuk, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Oftentimes we pray things like that, and we almost pray them in such vague terms that almost like somehow, like over India, the clouds are going to part, and there's going to be a portal, and he's just going to pour out glory. Just almost like do it spontaneously, in and of himself. But the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. We have to understand that all throughout the Bible, the understanding is his glory is revealed through his body. That when we are functioning as he intended his body to be, that the proclamation of the truth, the manifestation of who he is through the church, his glory will be revealed in the earth. That it's through us and as believers and as individuals. Um, lastly, I just really want to close out, because I don't want to, I can hear the kids, they sound like they're having fun. <laughs> Anybody that sits over there actually always tells me that they get two sermons. They hear this and they hear whatever's being taught. <laughs> Daniel in the lion's den. <laughs> um, is this understanding of the, the present day crisis in the Western church. And for us to actually have a clear understanding and even a greater passion for the restoration of the church of Jesus Christ and the revealing of the church of Jesus Christ. Um, for those of you that aren't aware, as I was starting in the, kind of in the beginning, is the understanding in our generation and even statistically when you begin to look at church attendance and when you begin to look at this younger generation, if in fact, which it is true, it's, it's not even something we need to suppose, this younger generation becomes responsible for the theology that is exported and taught, but also if we're financially responsible for carrying the church, we need to understand that, number one, the theology, when we want to address theology, aside from issues of immorality and aside from not even having clear understanding of sin and purity and grace versus lawlessness, all of that, put all of that aside. When you want to say theology, just even a clear theology of the church in the earth and the role of the church in the earth. That theology alone, because we don't have sound understanding and even affection and endearment and commitment to the church, because this younger generation has not been raised with that understanding, it's actually reflective in their giving. It's reflected that actually it's statistically proven that our generation is historically like the worst givers as far as sustaining the church and the missions movement in the earth. But hear me, it actually goes back to a theological problem. Yeah. It goes back to the place that we haven't actually been convinced and persuaded of the importance of the church of Jesus Christ. That we don't have a commitment and a dedication to seeing the church of Jesus Christ thriving and healthy and active. And so therefore, it's just reflected in our giving, which makes perfect sense. But these are the statistics for present day. 
4,000 new churches begin each year, and 7,000 churches close each year. We're just talking the West here. I don't have any statistics or even clarity on what's happening in other nations. Over 1,700 pastors leave the ministry and left the ministry. This is just last year alone. Left the, the ministry every month last year. 1,700 pastors. Every single month leaving the ministry. Over 3,500 people a day left the church last year. Like, they just basically take the overall numbers from year to year as far as church attendance and surveys, and then they actually, that's how they break it down to a daily. But it's this devaluing and even lack of understanding of the corporate body that we're actually not impressing upon the younger generation, the understanding and the commitment to the church of Jesus Christ. So the question becomes, what becomes of the church? What becomes of the church? If we have no clear understanding, and this isn't about, like, Bethany's a pastor and I need to go to church. No, I don't actually need to go to church. My, to be honest with you, my primary gifting and calling really isn't even to pastor or to do anything like that. My primary, like, passion is in prayer. And, and honestly, laboring for Boston, New England, and the nations to come to fullness as far as the intended purpose of God. So this is kind of like secondary, but it's actually what I've realized is because of in the place of prayer of laboring for Boston, that's why the Lord has impressed upon us the importance of the church and building the church as far as the, not saying we have it all together, but wrestling for the integrity, the dignity, the glory, and the honor of the church of Jesus Christ. That that would be our commitment, that we would not divorce ourselves from that. Just more information regarding kind of the statistical, um, what statistics reveal as far as the church. 40% of pastors say that they have considered leaving their pastorate in the last three months. 50% of ministers starting out will not last five years. 70% of this is of pastors and those in ministry. 70% felt God called them to a pastoral ministry before they began ministry, and after three years in the ministry, only 50% still felt called to the ministry. So after a, a three-year period of time. The average church in America right now, and granted, we have places like Lakeland and... I don't even know their names, but big ones, Texas, T.D. Jakes, I know, has a big one. But the average church in the United States right now has 75 attending members. That's meaning like kind of on your average street corner, which I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that small churches or that's a reflection. But what I'm saying is actually if you look at the trends of the decline of attendance, that most of those are places like even most of you know here in Cambridge that seat three to 500, that at one point in time, in, in the 50s, in the 40s, they are even generations past, that they did have thriving, active, local bodies. And now there's 5 to 10, and even as it says, the average is 75 members um, on a Sunday. But it's that the declining trend in the Church of America, and, and really what statistics reveal, it, it is the, the losing of the younger generation. That it's with the younger generation that as there's a passing of the baton, the baton is not being passed. That there is, number one, no burden being given to the younger generation for the raising up of the church of Jesus Christ. And even that that is how he fulfills his redemptive purpose in the earth. 
So not only is there no burden, there's no responsibility being given. I'm saying that it is your responsibility to build and sustain the church of Jesus Christ. Somehow, in Western culture, it's become upon about the person on the platform, right? Yeah. It's become upon that somehow they're going to preach, they're going to teach, that they're the visionary, and that we sit there as spectators. Mm-hmm. Where the understanding in the New Testament book of Acts was that as they gathered together, every joint supplied. Yes. One had the tongue and one had the interpretation. It was coming as a body of believers and functioning as a body. Literally meaning you have a vital part and you have a vital piece. But the understanding biblically is the body and that he is the head. That the pastor's not the head, the apostle's not the head. I understand there's church government and there's leadership and he places it there for order and structure. But at the end of the day that he is the head of the body. And then how he is, has declared that the body is supposed to function and how the church is supposed to manifest in the earth. See, I think oftentimes in America, with our humanistic way of living, because we want to give, like, and honestly, I mean, you can see it in parenting. I mean, I, I can see even with my son, my, I'm constantly before the Lord asking the Lord for wisdom because obviously there's a place of authority and that you govern a child, and there's a place of me wanting him to choose and decipher and have clear decision-making, and I don't want to enforce my will. But at the end of the day, let's just be honest. With my son, if I live my entire life with, and I do, I, I, honestly, here's an insight into my parenting right here. I live 99.9% of our life presenting Abram with his options, and that he'll suffer a consequence. Yesterday, he was on a water slide uh, at, his, at his cousin's birthday. And, you know, all the other kids are still playing. It is time for my kid to go. I need to get dinner. It's just, it's one of those things as a parent of, as much as I feel like a mean, rotten parent, because I'm going to take you right now, we are leaving, and you are not allowed to pitch a fit. <laughs> so I pulled my little son aside, and I said, so all of his cousins, all the cool big kids, he'd been doing it for two hours. So I just pulled him aside, and I said, hey, bud, it's dinner time. Our family's going home now. And he's like, no, they're still, yeah. You know, he's doing the whole thing. And I just looked right at him and I said, this is the deal. You can come willingly with mommy. And I told you that tonight after dinner you could watch a movie. I said, but if I have to take the time to fight with you and give you a spanking, you will not have a movie tonight. I can't tell you how happy my kid was to leave. <laughs> he was like, okay. You know, and he, he ran into the house. I better take him out the front door so he doesn't see the slide again. He went running around, bye guys! You know, like, <laughs> you know, just, he clearly understood. Like, not only will I get my butt beat, <laughs> but I'm going to lose my movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> I really wouldn't beat my son's butt. Sorry, I just, <laughs> we call it a swat. <laughs> and he rarely has to get one because he understands his consequences. <laughs> But with all of that said, you know, even in parenting, we can actually take the approach of dictate, because I personally don't like that approach with parenting, but we make our kids mindless somehow, that like you'll obey me or else. I'm not the fear-driven parent. I'm more kind of like, get some choices here. You know, these are your choices. With that, but then also you also have the other extreme of parenting, which I definitely could lean toward. <laughs> that could be my leaning, is, you know, more of the, 
let because Ab- Abram does have a lot of choices. I just said to my husband the other day, I said, you know, we give Abram, Abram has choices. He he can choose. And I said to Daryl, on some level, I'm trying to figure out when Abram's going to know that at some point there's not a choice. Like, it doesn't matter what you think. I said it, so you're doing it. Like, but you know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to find that boundary. Like, just because I said, because I'm older and taller. And I'm taller. <laughs> so, <laughs> But with that, in our culture, we have such a humanistic, like, I'm going to do it my way, how I want, ain't nobody going to tell me, I'm just going to... And we've even brought that into... Our church culture. Like my expression of church or my expression of Christianity. You know, this whole place of, I love that. As long as you can find it within the context between Genesis and Revelation, go for it. But if you don't find it as the example of Jesus Christ, we are not the body of Christ. And he will not claim us. He will not ultimately declare us as when he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. We have to ultimately question whether we're numbered as the body of Christ. If we're not revealing his glory and demonstrating who he is to the community and the world that is surrounding us. So the question becomes, when we look at the crisis that we're facing in our generation, when we look at the crisis of church attendance, when we look at kind of the failing and faltering influence of the church and the earth, because let's be honest, we, we looked at the Greek word for glorious when it talked about exalted, and I mean, it, I won't even go through all of it once again, but we went through the understanding of the glorious church, and in all honesty, that is not the church that we see manifested in, in America presently. But for us as a younger generation, it doesn't mean that we divorce ourselves from the church. It doesn't mean that we stand in judgment of the church, but we actually take Jesus' example And what Jesus' example was that he loved the church and he laid down his life for the church. If the end of history, the culmination of history is leading to this end, a a bride that marries the lamb, that we actually want to be a part of that identity. We want to be a a part of the identity of the bride of Christ, but the body of Christ that he gave his life for, and that place of laboring for the glory and the honor of the church of Jesus Christ. So we find in the example of Jesus, as we let me just recap those as we close out. But when we find his example, union with the Father, faithful prayer, purity of life, and proclamation of truth. And what we see is all of this, it culminated from that place of his humiliating death upon the cross from a spirit of sacrifice, that it wasn't about what he would become, but living for the glory of his name in the earth, living for the glory of his Father. That us as a younger generation, instead of living, what would happen, what would happen, instead of this baton being passed to the 30s and youngers that basically have abandoned the church of Jesus Christ, what if there became a massive paradigm shift in that younger generation that like no other generation on the face of the earth, that they had a vision and a passion for the glory and the honor of the church of Jesus Christ being restored. That the dignity and the worth of who he is would be revealed through the church of Jesus Christ. That the power and the majesty of who he is would be revealed through the church of Jesus Christ. That that is his intended purpose, is that he would be revealed through the church. Let's stand to our feet. Was that unfair?
God, we come before you today, and God, we ask that we as a people, God, that even biblically, God, that we would be those, Lord, that um, become students of your word to clearly understand what is your purpose. God, we ask, Lord, that you would make us a mature body of believers. Lord, that even as children, that they live so self-absorbed, Lord, consumed with their own lives and their own pursuits and their own desires and their own gratification. God, we say, Lord, that as your body of believers, we don't want to be those, Lord, that are focused upon ourselves. But God, we want to be, Lord, the body that even Paul declared that for the edification of the body, for the building up of the body, for the profit of the body. God, we ask, Lord, even us in this place. God, we ask, would you renew our mind, God, with a clear biblical understanding of the church of Jesus Christ. God, we ask, Lord, even for us gathered here, Lord, any place, Lord, that we have had judgments concerning the church of Jesus Christ. God, any place that we have had disdain, Lord, concerning, Lord, the church and how it manifests and, Lord, even its lack of authority and influence in the earth. God, we ask, Lord, that any place that we have even been ashamed of the church of Jesus Christ, God, we ask, Lord, now, would you even do a work of grace within our hearts? God, of understanding your passion and your zeal, of understanding that all of history is leading to this place of a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And God, we say we want to labor with you in your passion. We want to labor with you in your purposes. We want to labor with you in the desire of your heart. God, we long for even hearts, Lord, that would be bound and committed and dedicated to the building and the advancement of your kingdom upon the earth. God, we do ask for the fulfillment of Habakkuk that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Yes. But God, even as we've seen through scripture, God, we say, glorify your name through yeah. your church. Yeah. Glorify your name yeah. through the bride of Christ. we ask, Lord, even within this place, God, for each one of us that have almost somehow seen ourselves in an individual light, in an individual context, in relation to the word of God, and that we have never thought of ourselves in the context of a greater body. We have never understood ourselves in the context of the church of Jesus Christ. God, we ask, Lord, would you baptize us in a greater corporate mindset of what it is to be a corporate body, a corporate gathering of believers. And God, we ask, Lord, that by your grace, Lord, would you even redefine in our minds, Lord, what the church is. God, we ask that every place that we have been influenced and persuaded and even drawn in understanding through culture and contemporary Christianity. God, we say, Father, that we want to define the church, Lord, in, in context of the authority of the Word of God. 
So God, we ask you, God, we come before you. God, we say raise up a church like even in the book of Acts, the model that we see. God, sincere believers wrestling for the integrity of the word. God, we ask from the place of prayer, God, that you would baptize the community with fire. And God, for the preaching of the gospel to the ends of the earth. God, I ask, Lord, even within this place, Lord, those that are called to the nations. God, we ask, Father, that you would, even in this season and time, convince and persuade hearts of the importance of the church of Jesus Christ in laboring. God, we also ask, God, that as America, Lord, with the decline of Christianity, God, as it's the third greatest mission field in the world, God, as we are now receiving more missionaries to America than we're even sending. God, I ask, Lord, even amongst this company of people, God, would you raise up those, Lord, that would labor for the glory of your name, even in America. God, the the younger generation, Father, would see a display of your character and your nature. this would not simply be information that we gather. God, that even as we understand, God, that if we have knowledge, Lord, that we are accountable for what it is we do with what we know. God, I ask even in this place, God, would you lay individual burdens and responsibility upon hearts. God, I ask that even 10 to 20 years from now, God, that we would not look back or even remember vaguely a word that we heard of the declining church of America. God, that we would not look back remembering but that we had an unresponsive heart. God, I ask, Father, even now, that we would be people with a responsive heart. God, that you would speak to us even what our role is in the body of Christ what our function is in the body of Christ. And Lord, that you convince us and persuade us, God, of the importance of us operating in the function that you have ordained for us. God, we do ask, Father, that you would restore glory and honor to the church of Jesus Christ. Glorify your name. If there's anybody here that needs prayer before you leave, we're happy to pray with you and agree with you. We're just going to close out with a song. We
Yeah, the reign of your kingdom. 